Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. My son is 19 months old, going on 20 months old, and now I realize that at some point I'm going to have to stop mining his life for like uh, sermon introductions and ideas, but until he can figure that out, I'm just going to keep doing it because it's the like closest thing I can figure out to relate myself to how God feels about us, right? So the good, the bad, and the ugly, correct? <laughs> but uh, my, my son, uh, 19, going on 20 months old, he really wants to collaborate with me when it comes to getting stuff done around the house. He recognizes uh, at this point he's got limitations. Mostly he's limited by his stature, right? He's not tall enough to do the things that he's interested in doing, which is mostly pushing light switches on and off, getting blueberries out of the refrigerator, and pulling the dangly chain thing that controls the light on the ceiling fans. That's his three favorite pastimes right now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's that. But I have a total of 11 nephews and two nieces, as well as like a whole army of friends that had kids at a younger age than I do. So I know what's coming down the pipe for me. One of these days, probably in about three months or so, He's going to decide that he doesn't want to collaborate anymore. He's going to break off and go out on a solo act. He's going to ditch my help and try to do every single thing on his own. And he's going to be wonderfully terrible at it. Right? And my job is going to be to just kind of stand there in the area and make sure that he doesn't incur serious injury while he totally rejects me and everything that I stand for. That's just the way that things are going to go. I'm uh, physically uh, and mentally prepared for this reality. I don't know if I'm emotionally prepared for it, but I'm going to cross that bridge when I get to it, right? But mostly, you know, I am prepared for it because uh, I have lived long enough uh, to go through every possible stage of self-reliance up until this point in my life. I know there's some more that will follow after where I'm at right now. But it's human nature. And it's frustrating for everyone on the outside looking in, is it not? But it's just something that we do. But the beauty of the human experience and growing and maturing is that at some point, we can, we have the ability to come to the realization that we don't have to live life that way if we don't want to. We don't have to be so desperately hooked on our own ways of living and on our own ways of thinking. 
We can look up from ourselves and see the outstretched hands that are there around us offering us help if we choose to do so. So we are here uh, in the midst of a Lenten sermon series called Painting with Ashes. And this series is based on a book that was written by my friend, uh, Reverend Dr. Michael Beck. And what we are seeking to see through this series is how God uses the brokenness, the ashes of our lives to paint something new and wonderful and how he's yearning to show us how to participate in that work and to paint with our ashes as well. And so last week, we talked about what it means for us to be stuck in the deserts of our lives. You know, the places where where sin and temptation lead us astray from the life-giving purposes that God has for our lives. And I urged you, right, not to buy land in the desert, which really means not to chain your identity to the spiritually dry and broken places that you might find throughout your life. But I'm stubborn enough myself to understand that just telling you not to buy land in the desert might not actually prompt you and motivate you to take those first steps towards walking away from the desert itself. And so I'd like to talk to you today about what it really takes for us to walk away from the mess that sin and brokenness has created in our lives. And what it takes is us practicing the subtle art of sweet surrender. Surrender into the arms of a loving God who is standing there and who has been standing there waiting for us to take his hand for as long as we have lived. And so in the Gospel of Luke, we find a curious teaching from Jesus that relates to this idea. So Jesus is talking to religious leaders of his day who have come uh, to warn him that he's caught the attention of King Herod, who's kind of this puppet king who ruled over Jerusalem and Judea on behalf of the Roman Empire. And so this is uh, what the Gospel of Luke says. This is going to be in chapter 13, starting at verse 31. It says, At that very hour, some Pharisees, those are the religious elite, the religious leaders, Some Pharisees came to him and said, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. So he said to them, You go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, 
Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And so I know that Jesus talks in a kind of a funny way, but here's what's really going on here. (laughs) These Pharisees, these people that have come to warn Jesus about King Herod, they're not fans of Jesus. They're not on Jesus's team. They come and say this to him because they're trying to run him out of town. And they're trying to run him out of town, likely because he's doing these things that he said he was going to do. He's he's casting out demons. He's, He's curing people. He's healing them. He's authentically wielding the power and authority of God. And who do you think thought that they had the monopoly? on the authority and the power of God, the Pharisees. And so they come because Jesus is threatening their authority, and he says to them like, yo, Jesus, uh, check it out. You better run along because Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus is like, "Uh, I don't care. (laughs) His daddy tried that years ago when I was a baby. It didn't work. I'm not worried about him, okay? And then Jesus does what Jesus always does, and he turns this whole thing back around on them. See, Jesus was a very highly perceptive guy. He was always able to see the hearts and the the motives that drove people to do and say the things that they did and they said. And so he's like, listen, you Pharisees, Jerusalem. The place that you think is the, is the epicenter of holiness. The place that you think that you embody for the world. This place where you exert all of your authority over the people. It's got a history. It's got some baggage. And what he's talking about is that throughout almost all of Israel's history, they strayed from the ways that God had, had given them to live. They, they chased after and they worshipped other gods. They failed to institute the social structure and the safety nets that God had instituted and put into place so that they would care for the poor and the marginalized of their society. They engaged in all kinds of other behavioral garbage that God had specifically warned them against. And so God would do this thing where he would send prophets to them to preach to them and say like, hey, y'all, God delivered you out of the hands of slavery in Egypt. God delivered you through the desert and the wilderness where you were just absolutely terrible, where you rebelled and you were disobedient. God delivered you from all of that into this promised land, and y'all are living like he doesn't even exist anymore. Look at you. You brought the desert here straight into the heart of the land that flows with milk and honey. And more often than not, these prophets would be killed or cast away. The people of Israel were much like us. They refused to surrender their ways and to look up and embrace God's help. And Jesus is telling these religious leaders like, hey, this place hasn't changed one bit. Y'all, you people, you have not changed one bit. 
But the good news for you is that neither has God. See, Jerusalem might still be a corrupt place, but God is still waiting. God is still desiring to gather his people. And that's the mission that Jesus came to begin, and that's the mission that continues through us here 2,000 years later in this place called the church. See, we are people who have been called to reflect the person of Jesus Christ, both personally in our own lives and as a community. You see, the church is where we are, we are called to be those who bring those who are stuck in their own desert places into a place where they can come and they can find the loving arms of a community that embraces them and gives them the source of support that they need to find restoration and healing in Jesus' name. And so as we journey through the season of Lent, we have got to come face to face with the fact that the church in the modern day and age, the church here in America, we often reflect the attitude of Pharisees in our own hearts, which causes us to create communities that, that look a bit more like what Jesus and the prophets found in Jerusalem than what Jesus has called us to be. And so the process of sweet surrender is really a process that happens both at the personal and at the communal level. You see, we want to see personal transformation. We want to see what happens when people walk away from, from the parts of their lives that are stealing them away from the good and beautiful plan that God has for them. But we also need to make sure that we, as a community, have a heart that is willing to meet people where they are and is then willing to nurture them in spiritual growth and development. And you see, the truth is that the church in America is really, really good at the personal transformation thing. We're, we're really good at convincing people that they are in deep need of the grace of God. What we aren't terribly good at, at, on a whole, is being vessels of that grace. But I think that we are coming to realize that when people encounter God and make a decision to change, but then don't find the support that they need, they inevitably find themselves right back where they began, in the desert, stuck. And so here's the part of the message that I told you I would tell you. You know, if you are stuck in the desert, if you are consistently trying to do the same thing over and over and over again and get a different result, then the problem is that you need some help. And this help is available to you through this church. Reach out, call me, call someone. Let us know how we can help you find your way back into the loving arms of God and then allow us to walk there with you. 
I'm here to tell you that you can't do it all on your own. You can't do it alone because you weren't created to do it alone. You were created for the community of love that is the church. So surrender your self-reliance. Surrender your ideas of how you're going to fix yourself by yourself. And just allow God, through the community of faith, to nurture and heal you. And church, this is our job. It's our job to be a place of love and nurturing. The Apostle Paul, uh, in his letter to the Ephesian church, uh, gives us guidelines of how we are called to deal with and nurture one another. This is Ephesians chapter 4, starting right at verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worth of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. And so just as you are called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. These qualities of humility, of, of gentleness, of patience, of, of bearing with one another in love are really the foundation of how we create the type of therapeutic community that differentiates us from the rest of what this world has to offer. It's what differentiates us from the world of Jerusalem that Jesus found. You see, in Jesus's day, the Pharisees were not creating an environment that nurtured people. They created an environment that demanded strict adherence to behaviors rather than fostering the transformation of the heart. And there is a stark difference between these two approaches. One uses fear and shame to bully people into changing. And one nurtures and gives people the natural space that they need to grow through the transformational process of discipleship. You know, I've probably told you this before, but I, I grew up in a wonderful little United Methodist Church uh, up in Pennsylvania. My pastor uh, was just a, a man who was phenomenal at giving hugs, phenomenal at showing people that he loved them, and he led this church to be a community that reflected that and did the same. And so it was in this place that I found just a wonderful example of what the church is called to be. They loved me, this, this like awkward kid who was just trying to find his place in the world. And they, they grew me in my faith, and they nurtured me, and they really truly showed me what love is. And many, many years later, after I had kind of hit the end of my journey in the desert and decided to surrender and ask for help, I found that help through institutionalization. 
in the institution that I was at offered to take us to church on Sundays. And so on Easter Sunday of 2013, I got on a little white van and they took me to a little United Methodist Church in Tampa, Florida. And what happened was that I heard the message of the gospel again. I remembered that story. I remembered that I was in deep, deep need of Jesus to walk with me out of the mess that my life had become. And with that, I, I kept going to that little church, and I remembered the love of the community of faith that I had once found many, many years before, many, many miles away. I recognized the thing that had been given to me as a child. And that church wrapped their arms around me, and they refused to let go, and it was so annoying. And I tried to get kicked out of that place. You know, I was smoking cigarettes in the parking lot. I was swearing in the sanctuary. And they gave me a microphone and a guitar. And then they told me to go and disciple some teenagers. And I was like, do you know who I am? And they knew. They knew who I was. They knew who God had called me to be. They recognized that. And then they sponsored my candidacy for ordained ministry. This was a community that understood what it meant to be a therapeutic vessel of God's grace. And it made every single difference in my life. And so we, First Church, have been called to be the same. And listen, this is not like talking down to you at all because we're really, really good at this here. I, I see the heart here. I see the willingness to go out on a limb to help those in our community who found themselves in the desert. This is really just a reminder of the why we do all of this. It's a reminder of our role in all of this Jesus stuff in the world. We aren't the manners and the behavior police. We are the vessels of God's grace that allows people to feel comfortable enough to truly embrace the healing power of Christ in their lives. And so just like my job is to be there when my son finally gives up and decides that he needs my help, we, the church, are called to bring people out of their own deserts and into this community that is called love. And we do this by remembering what it was like for us when we were out there in our own version of the desert, by remembering our own brokenness, by remembering the way that it made us feel to be brought into the life of the church to be loved despite the baggage that we carried behind us. Because when we remember that, we remember that we are wounded too. 
and that our wounds give us all the credentials that we need to bring healing into this world. That our wounds give us all that we need to paint with our ashes too. 